0: All right, so we are in this Advent season. We're in an Advent series here at Redemption. And if you don't know what that word Advent is, it's kind of like another word for Christmas, but the word Advent itself actually means coming, okay? It means arrival. And so the Advent season is where we celebrate the arrival of God, the coming of God to earth. And so that's what we celebrate every Advent. And I think sometimes... With Advent, we can get to these series and go, oh, I've heard this Christmas message before. I've heard these stories before. But the problem with that is, I don't think that we should treat Advent like a show we watch, right? Like, I've already seen this episode. I'm on to the next episode. Because if what Vince talked about last week is true, God is infinite, then, then we should be stirred every Advent season and reminded of who God is. And so we're in this series that we hope would stir you called What Child Is This? And it's a study in the sonship of Jesus. Because as we looked at the Advent story this year, and we were preparing what series we would go through, we began to notice that there are all these ways where Jesus is referred to as a son of something, a son of this or a son of that. And so we wanted to take four weeks where we intentionally looked at the ways that Jesus is a son and see what does that mean and how does it relate to the Advent story. And so last week, Vince talked about the Son of God. He talked about how Jesus is the Son of God. All through the Advent story, you see that time and time again that Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. And what we see is it's really connected to that word Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So Jesus is God here on earth. That's what the Son of God means. But also we believe in a triune God. So this is what the the Bible teaches us about God. God is one, and yet he's three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so Jesus is the eternally begotten Son of God. He is God. He's always existed. He created all things. But the way that the Father and the Son relate is like a Father and a Son, And so when Jesus comes to earth, he's referred to as the Son of God because he is the Son of God and he is God. And so my hope is for today and for this series is what Vince talked about last week. He talked about how when he looks at the Grand Canyon... He, he begins to admire its beauty more and more. And he talked about, and all the ladies in the, in the room swooned over this and said, I want a man like Vince. And when Vince told this story about where he watches his wife at dinner and she plays with some straws or something, and <laughs> she's not my wife, and, um, and how he falls more deeply in love with her. That's my hope for this series, this this Advent series that we're doing, that every time we look at one of these, the the sonship of Jesus, that we would fall more deeply in love with Jesus, that we would be stirred to praise him more, okay? So first I have a question. How many of you guys like inside jokes? Inside jokes? Oh, good crew. Last... Um, audience, they were a little bit more bullied, I think, so they didn't like inside jokes. No, they weren't, Uh, but they didn't like inside jokes, and so uh, inside jokes, you know, when you're on the outside of an inside joke, they are so annoying, right? Like, you you join a new group, and they have all these little phrases and things they say, and you just join, and they're like, remember the shoe store, (laughs) and you're like, I hate you. I just hate you, and Explain it or whatever and unfortunately me and Vince. We have so many inside jokes together because we we've just we've been together for a long time not relationally, but um, It sounded weird. I had to clarify. We've been working together for a long time, and so uh, We have a lot of these little phrases and years ago one of these phrases was uh, something I said around a campfire that me and him were there and some others And he was telling a story, and in the middle of his story, I said, totally, totally, totally. And it was hilarious. I wish I could explain why, but there was just all this hilarity that ensued. And so we loved this phrase, totally, 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 especially when we say it really fast, totally, 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 like that. So we began to say it to each other all the time, like every single day. Like our wives were like, get out of the house. We don't want to hear that anymore. So then me and Vince began, we began to text each other this. We would just say totally, totally, totally to everything that we would say via text. And then it, 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 we, it took a step further. Vince then, he, he, he evolved it. And instead of saying totally, 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 he would just put TTT in text, right? And we'd say that back and forth. I knew what he meant because, you know, I invented it. And so we're talking. But then other people would text Vince and say, hey man, what about this? Da-da-da-da. And he'd say TTT. And they would just say, question mark? And then he wouldn't respond. He just wouldn't <laughs> tell them. Okay, and it got worse. We started now just taking word, letters of words we say a lot, like cool, and we would just put CCC. Or we'd say, I say "sick" a lot," so we put SSS." And we just say these things to people without explaining what it means, and it was so frustrating. And then Vince, he does this on Facebook. This is a gentle rebuke for Vince, but random people will be like pouring their heart out on Facebook, saying something a uh, status about how God just really worked in their life. And then Vince will just go and he'll just comment and he'll just say, "TTT." right? And, <laughs> and they have no idea what he means, because it's this like insider phrase between us. He hasn't done it in a sensitive moment like that, I have to clarify. But he does comment it a lot on Facebook. And today, we're actually going to be talking about what is an insider phrase for the people of Israel, okay? There's these different phrases that the people of Israel knew because it was in their Bible, which is our Old Testament. And they knew these phrases well because it was part of their faith and their life. And so sometimes for us, Westerners, 2,000 years removed from Jesus, I think these phrases, we'll hear them, we'll kind of know them, and we'll kind of go with them. But I think if we explore some of these phrases, then we'll get to a deeper picture of who Jesus is. And so the insider phrase that we're going to look at today for the people of Israel is the Son of Man. Jesus as the Son of Man. Okay? And so I just want to read a quick place where that first is written. Uh, we're one of the first places Jesus says it about himself, and it's in John chapter one, and it's going to be in verse 50 and 51. So there's these two guys, Philip and Nathaniel. and, and Vince shared this story last week. And Nathaniel is this skeptical guy. He doesn't, uh, he's just a skeptic. And Philip is coming to Nathaniel, and he's saying, "Listen, dude, there's this guy Jesus. He's too legit to quit. Let's go check him out." And Nathaniel's like, "Dude, what good could come out of Nazareth?" Right? That's where Jesus was from. So maybe you don't know what that means, it would be like, "What good could come out of Yuma?" Right? Like there's a there's a sorry. That's just the one. That's the one we have to make fun of. I'm sorry, Yumians. Um and so this guy, this guy Nathaniel's saying that and Philip's like, "Dude, just come check it out. Let's just see." So Nathaniel gets up to Jesus and he, Jesus just knows Nathaniel's the skeptic and he just says, "Hey, buddy. I saw you." Under that fig tree. And this is enough for Nathaniel to freak out. I don't know what he was doing under the fig tree. I think he was maybe just crying out to God in a moment alone. And so when Jesus says this, it causes Nathaniel to go, "This is the Son of God and the king of Israel." And in our story last week, that's where Vince left off, but then we didn't get to see how does, how does Jesus respond to Nathaniel, and we see it in verse 50 and 51. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus says, listen, yeah, I'm the Son of God, I'm the King of Israel, but I'm also the Son of Man. You're going to see crazier things happen. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, if you're Nathaniel, what do you do with that? You're like, what? What? So they're going to climb up your face? Like, what? How, how does that work? And so I think sometimes we read these stories and we just gloss over what the Son of Man means. And so my hope for us today is this, is that we would figure out and find out using the Bible, what does this phrase, Son of Man, mean? We're going to look at the Old Testament and see what it means, what they knew it to mean. And then I think there are five implications for us that teach us about who God is that this phrase, Son of Man, teaches us about who God is. And so we're going to look at those five things, okay? So first, let's hop into some of this Old Testament stuff and see how the Old Testament used this phrase, Son of Man. Now, One of the most common places in the Old Testament you'll find this phrase used is Ezekiel. Okay, so Ezekiel, super easy book. Pick it up sometime, read it. Um, Ezekiel was this prophet. I can tell you don't read your Bibles because that's a good joke. Um, So Ezekiel was this prophet who God spoke to and said all these things to. And one of the ways he would always refer to Ezekiel is he would say son of man. And so Ezekiel 2, chapter 2, verse 1, right away, God says this to Ezekiel. He says, son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. All right? So what God is saying to Ezekiel, he's basically saying, human, human, get up. I'm going to talk to you. Okay, so son of man simply in the Old Testament means human. There's another place where uh, the Son of Man, or there's lots of places where it's used in that way. Another way is in Numbers 23, 19. And it says this, God is not man that he should lie or or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So Moses is teaching about God and what God's taught him about his character. And Moses says, God's not a man like us. God is not a son of man. He's not a human like we are. Okay? He's not like that. He's not like us. And so very simply, son of man, when we just see it at its face value uh, for the people of Israel, it just meant human. It just meant man. Okay? Or, Or it meant human, really, not just specifically man. But there's another place in the Old Testament where this phrase is used and it's used very differently than these phrases for just human. And it's in Daniel chapter seven. Now, if you know uh, Daniel's story at all, it's the story of this guy and his friends, these Israelites and, that get uh, put in exile in Babylon and they basically have to work for Babylon and you see all these kinds of ways that they stay faithful to God in the midst of it. You know, it's the famous story of, Daniel and the lion's den, and he prays, and the lions and him become friends, and all this kind of stuff. And so, but the last part of Daniel, though, is all these dreams and visions that God gives Daniel, and they're about the future, and they're also kind of this unveiling of what's, what's happening in the spiritual realm alongside the physical realm. And so Daniel, in chapter 7, he, God is essentially speaking to Daniel. He's saying, listen, there are going to be kings There's going to be all kinds of kings. There are going to be all kinds of evil, some worse than others. But I, God, am going to establish my kingdom. I, God, am going to be king over all those things one day. That's essentially what these visions uh, are saying in Daniel chapter 7. But in the midst of these visions and dreams, uh, Daniel uses this phrase, son of man, to describe something he sees. And it's in verse 13. So we get this son of man phrase used in another way. So Daniel is seeing these kingdoms and God basically taking over the earth, but what he sees is this one who is like a son of man. So he's like a human, but not quite for some reason. And he comes on with the clouds, and he comes with the clouds, and, and there He's standing before the ancient of days, God, and this one who's like a son of man is given all kingdom and glory and dominion and power forever and ever. And he is the king of this everlasting kingdom, okay? So we have really a dual meaning in the Old Testament for son of man. For us to be insiders in or to understand this inside phrase of the people of Israel, we have to realize that the son of man means human, simply, but it also means this exalted one who's going to be lifted up and he's going to have a kingdom that lasts forever and he's going to be given all power and glory. So when Jesus says that he is the son of man and he refers to himself as the son of man more than 80 times throughout all the gospels, this is his most common designation for himself. When Jesus says that, Jesus is essentially saying, The way that the the both ways that the Old Testament talks about the Son of Man, I am both those things. So Jesus is saying, I am human, and I am this exalted one who's lifted up and who's going to establish his kingdom forever. And as we see in Daniel, it's God who's establishing his kingdom. It's God who is king. And so Jesus is saying, I am the God king. I am king over everything. And so we have to understand that when Jesus says that he's the son of man, we have to realize he's saying, I am the human, and I am the exalted one. Okay? And that should help us to understand when Jesus says this, what that could mean for us. What does that mean for our relationship with God? And I think the Advent story shows so much this son of man idea about Jesus. Jesus. And so my hope right now is I want to look at five different things that this Son of Man phrase shows us about who Jesus is. And I hope it draws you closer to him. I hope it betters your relationship with him. Okay, so five things the Son of Man phrase teaches us. The first thing is this. The Son of Man phrase shows us that God is in the flesh. The Son of Man shows us that God is in the flesh. Let's go to Luke 1 before we talk about that idea. Luke 1, verse 26. I'm just going to start reading it. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So we get in this first story where this angel is talking to Mary and he's saying, God is going to be in you and you're actually, you're really going to conceive. God is going to take on flesh. He's going to be formed in you. Think about that. God was formed in Mary. God took on flesh. God already eternally existed, but the Holy Spirit put Jesus, the Son of God, in her. And so implication for us, when Jesus says that he's the son of man, he's saying, I am fully man and I am fully God. Sometimes we mix it up. We think that Jesus was this really good human and God was like, I'm going to honor him and make him God. That's not how it works. How it works is that God became a human. God took on flesh There's this theological word called incarnation. The whole Advent story is this idea of incarnation, which just means God takes on flesh. So God is human and God at the same time. This is key to us understanding what this Son of Man phrase teaches us and why Jesus says it so often. So that's the first thing that the Son of Man phrase shows us. The second thing that the Son of Man phrase shows us is a God who stoops down to relate to us. Probably a better way to put it is actually a God who stoops down so that we could relate to him better. Okay, here's here's what I mean. The, The Bible talks about God as being infinite. The Bible talks about God as being holy and set apart and totally different than all of creation. One of those ways is God himself was never created. That's so hard and that's so mind boggling for us humans, us created beings, to think that there is a being out there who has never created himself. So, Jesus, or so we have to think through this idea of how God was never born. We were all born if we're in this room, but God was never born. And yet, in the Advent story, we see that God takes on flesh and God is born into this world. That's mind-boggling. The God who has never created himself decided, the God who has never born himself decided to allow himself to be born, and I think he does it to relate to us better. I think he does it as this way he's stooping down so that we could relate to him better and understand who God is. I get this picture of my wife, who I, I noticed her doing this a few weeks ago, With our daughter. Now, our daughter is almost four, and she loves, like, her love language is quality time. She loves to just spend time with us and play with us, and and, and that's, like, really important to her. And so one of the things she invites us to do a lot is, mom, dad, will you come and play with me in my, she has, like, a little toy kitchen, all right? And so she plays in this little toy kitchen, and she always invites us to come play with her in this kitchen, which is in our living room. And so when she invites me, I often i am like, yeah, sure, I'm going to sit on the couch, make my orders from the couch today, if that's cool. Um, th- that would be better. But my wife, though, when she comes to my wife and she's like, Mom, will you come play with me in my kitchen? What I watched my wife do, and I watched her do this a few weeks ago, she's nine months pregnant, she gets down on both of her knees, which I don't know if I physically can do, and she sits there and she plays with my daughter. She literally stoops down and she relates to my daughter, and their relationship is better because my wife stoops down and sits there with her. And she doesn't just sit there for a minute. She's there for like 30 minutes at a time, and they're making their pretend cake or hamburgers for me laying on the couch or whatever it is. And so I just love that picture of my wife doing that because I think it's a picture of what God does for us in the Advent story. I think it's a picture of what the Son of Man has done for us. God stoops down. He takes on flesh so that we might know him more, so that we could relate to him better. This should stir our hearts to praise. We have a God who is hands-on in loving us and caring for us. So God takes on flesh, and God stoops down to relate to us. The third thing that Jesus as the Son of Man shows us is it shows that Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. It's crazy to think, and Jesus has actually even, he's experienced him, it himself. When we think of the Son of Man phrase about Jesus, it's crazy to think that Jesus grew up. Jesus went through puberty, right? Jesus Stubbed his toe before. He didn't cuss like a lot of you after, but he 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 stubbed his toe before. Right? Jesus knows what it's like to come home from work and be tired. He probably knows what it's like to work on something and it just not work out. Jesus knows what it's like to be happy. Jesus knows what it's like to have friends. Jesus probably knows what it's like to be made fun of as a kid. Jesus knows what it's like to be sad. Jesus knows what it's like to be depressed. Jesus even knows what it's like to be tempted. In Hebrews 4.14, it says this about Jesus. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted, like you and I are. We're prone to sin. Jesus wasn't prone to sin, and yet he was still tempted. Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows what you're experiencing. And so when he's, no wonder that Jesus uses this phrase, son of man, to describe himself. Because this was a crazy thing that was happening. God was taking on flesh, It wasn't crazy that there was a son of God or a king of Israel. It was crazy, but it wasn't as crazy as God taking on human flesh. And because he did that, he he knows what you've experienced. He knows what you've been through. He knows what it means to be human. This should encourage us to dive into our relationship with God. A lot of times we think of God as this far-off being or this far-off person, but he came so close to us as the Son of Man. He showed us who he is. So Jesus, as the Son of Man, shows us that that he's experienced what it means to be human. Four, the fourth thing that Jesus, as the Son of Man, shows us is what true humanity looks like. Right? A lot of times when we talk about following God and following Jesus and, and obeying him, we root it in just, just be obedience, just this is God's way, this is who he is. And there's a lot of that that I will continue to preach because that's biblical and true and it should be rooted in the gospel and what Jesus has done for us first and foremost. But I think sometimes we don't, we don't just see the attraction of how Jesus as the Son of Man, he shows us what it truly means to be human. Because God is perfect and sinless, when he takes on flesh, he's going to show us what his original intent was in creating humanity. And so when we look at Jesus, we can see what it means to be truly human. I think we're all crying out all the time, asking ourselves, what does it mean to be human? And we answer it with all these different things. But Jesus says, I can show you what it means to be human. Right? One of the biggest things I notice when I read the Gospels is how Jesus walks in relationship with God. He is so close, and he has an intimate relationship with the Father and the Spirit. So Jesus shows us that true humanity is being close and connected to God. Jesus shows us what it means to love his neighbor as himself. Right? He shows us what that looks like. All kinds of broken, messy people come around Jesus and they just love him and give their dedication to him. Lo- that's one of my favorite things about the Gospels is seeing how people were just attracted to Jesus because of his love for them. And Jesus, he used this son of man phrase a lot and he would often connect it to other phrases to describe who he was. And one of those phrases is Jesus said, hey, I came not to be served, but I came to serve. That's crazy to me that the God of the universe, he came not to be served, but to serve. If I'm God, I have every right to just pop on this planet and say, time to serve me, guys, or I'm going to use my superpowers, right? Like, I'm, if I'm God, I have every right to do that. But Jesus, he, wanting to show us what true humanity looks like, He says, I came not to be served, but to serve. And he shows us that our humanness, our redeemed humanness, has a root where we love and care for one another, where we serve for each other more than we serve ourselves. Jesus is beautiful when we look at him as the Son of Man. Jesus shows us someone who's in community. He shows us that our humanity is supposed to be done in community. Another thing I love about the Gospels, if you read them closely, you begin to see how Jesus often looks at people. He'll just look at people. Like some stories start off and they'll say, Jesus like looked at that person, or Jesus saw the crowds, and how Jesus stops and he looks. And I think that just shows how humanly we should be seeing the image of God on each other. You see how Jesus speaks to people, how he talks to people. He shows us what it means to be human. Full of grace and full of truth. And so, Jesus, when we look at him, when we see him as the Son of Man, we can know that he's showing us what what it truly means to be a human. He's showing us that as the Son of Man. Fifth, the last thing that I think the Son of Man shows us is he shows us where heaven and earth meet. He shows us where heaven and earth meet. And to understand what I mean by this, I want to go to an Old Testament story. There's this Old Testament story uh, about this guy, Jacob, and he has a twin brother named Esau. And these twin brothers are... Abraham's great-grandson, so that they they know that they're part of this family that God promised, like, hey, through your family, I'm gonna make a nation, and through that nation, I'm gonna bring someone out through your lineage who is going to redeem all things, who's gonna make everything back to the way it should be. And so Jacob and his brother Esau, they were twins, but Esau came out first, so he was the oldest of the two. And so he had this... uh, a blessing was rightfully his to carry on God's promise that he would come one day and restore all things. Now, Jacob, his name meant deceiver, also meant grab the heel, which I don't know. And so Jacob's name meant deceiver, but he was very much a deceiver too, we find out. And so him and his mom concoct this plan to steal that blessing from his brother Esau, to steal that promise that God made almost, uh, to, or he did make, to the people Of Israel. And so Jacob is sitting there and he goes to his dad who's blind and old and and can't hear as well. And he tricks his dad into giving him the blessing instead of his brother Esau. And so then Esau, he's a tough guy. So Jacob says, I'm going to take off. I'm going to leave. This is not good because Esau's going to kill me. So he takes off. And as he's taking off, he's headed to some other relative's house and he stops on the way. And when he stops on the way, something kind of incredible happens. He grabs a rock, and he goes to bed, and he lays on this rock, and he has this dream. And in this dream, what he sees is a ladder. Some translations say it could have been like a stairwell or a stairway, and it's a stairway to heaven. And on this stairway or ladder, our angels are coming down, and angels are going up on this ladder. So then Jacob wakes up, and he's like, Whoa. God has spoken to me. This place is holy, and he calls it Bethel, which means house of God. But then God talks to Jacob. And I wonder if Jacob is just feeling all this insecurity and just wondering, man, is this blessing really mine? I am such a sinner. I have to run away from my brother. I've never been the chosen one. And God looks at Jacob, and he says, listen, I still will carry that blessing out through you. I will, through your lineage, Bring this one who is going to come and redeem all things. And that's why I gave you this dream. And it's probably one of the first moments, I think, that we see Jacob really turn to God in any way in Genesis. Now, let's go to John chapter one again and look at how Jesus responds in verse 51. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, and he said to them, truly, truly I say to you, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus is taking the imagery from that well-known story for the people of Israel. And he's saying, guess what, guys? I am the ladder. I am the place where heaven and earth meet. The Son of Man is going to, uh, the angels are going to descend and ascend on the Son of Man. I am the way to heaven. I am the way to get things back to how they once were. I am the way to God. I am God. That's what Jesus is saying when he says that you will see greater things than this. And you'll see angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. And so when we see that phrase, the Son of Man, we should understand that Jesus is saying, I am where heaven and earth meet. I am making all things right once again. And so I hope that these these ideas about the Son of Man and these implications of the Son of Man would stir us to praise, that they would cause us to understand that we have a God who's experienced what we've gone through, that we have a God who stoops down to relate to us, that we have a God who loves us and has made a way back to Him, and He did it by taking on flesh as a Son of Man. I was talking to my wife about this idea of the Son of Man a number of years ago and how Jesus talks about how he, as the Son of Man, will one day go back to heaven and he'll be put at the right hand of the Father and he'll rule over everything, thus showing that he is the one in Daniel 7. And I was talking to her about how Jesus is right now fully man and fully God. And she began to just cry. I was like, did I say that in a mean way? I don't know. And as I began to ask her about it, she was like, she was just weeping. And she was like, you mean to tell me the God of the universe? The God is so beyond creation, so holy and set apart. The God who is spirit. He became flesh, and now for all eternity, he's going to be fully God and fully man? She, and she's just weeping. She's like, this is a great injustice that has been done to God. And that always stuck with me. And then as I looked at these stories and looking at how Jesus referred to himself as the son of man, what I began to realize was a great injustice has happened to Jesus. Jesus took on flesh only to live sinless and have people mock him and berate him and question him and even call him a son of the devil sometimes. And Jesus showed us how holy he was. And then, humanity deserves this punishment for our sin. We need some sort of atonement. And so God, who took on flesh, says, I will be that atonement. I will be the truer and greater sacrifice that the Old Testament talks about. And so Jesus dies on the cross, taking on the punishment that we all deserve, and he does not. So when Jesus is the Son of Man, a great injustice has happened to him because he doesn't deserve this punishment, yet he takes it on because he's a God who stoops down and he wants us to relate to him better. And Jesus dies. His flesh dies. And yet he comes back to life three days later. And in the midst of him coming back to life, in the midst of him resurrecting, what we get is this picture of what God is going to do with our bodies one day, that he's going to resurrect us one day. And so Jesus resurrects, and he becomes the firstborn of of the resurrected, essentially, so that we can share in this resurrected life with him one day. Jesus becomes, again, this place where heaven meets earth. And so when Jesus says that he's the son of man, it should stir our hearts to praise. When we go to our Bibles and we read the son of man phrase now, we shouldn't just go, oh, that's just Jesus saying Jesus stuff. Our hearts should go, wow, God, there is a lot there in that phrase for me to learn about you. There's a lot there in that phrase that invites me to interact into a deeper relationship with you. So Jesus is the son of man, and he's the only one that can live out all the meanings that the Bible has for the son of man. And I hope that this Advent season that we would remember that God took on flesh. Amen, church? Let's pray.